folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode, and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation, and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Hello, welcome to the post game. What the Vikings are in a playoff spot reaction after the worst game close that I have ever covered, not blowouts, but in a game that was competitive to the very end and went to overtime, it could not have been more of a mess, which we will get into every part of that disaster. But breaking news as we are starting this podcast, Matthew Collar and intern Paul, the Minnesota Vikings are in the number seven seed because the Arizona Cardinals are just having a meltdown. And it's almost like the football gods reached down and said, Vikings, this seven seed playoff spot was made for you and here you are despite your not very good football and all attempts to lose to the worst team not named the Jets in the NFL you still may sit in the golden seventh seat of the playoffs so uh Paul what a day what a day it was what a day uh I think if you could manifest Kirk Cousins into anything it would be that seventh playoff seed he seems to just like Everything about that seems to fit him, but I don't know, Matt. At times, I was pained watching this game. I, I wanted it to be over. I was exhausted, even though I was just sitting on my couch watching it. It was, I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of speechless that they they simultaneously won that game, but also that it came that close to a team that is now one in eleven. There's just so much so much to get into. The Vikings were the winners. Every one of us was the losers for having witnessed that game, which, by the way, took forever. I mean, usually I'm walking out of the stadium at a certain time after a regular old noon o'clock start. And uh, today it was almost pitch dark as I was walking out of the stadium. That usually doesn't happen even after the clocks change. Um, But the game took forever because it went into overtime. But there also was uh, all these different turnovers and changes uh, throughout the game. Um, We'll just begin with the broad statement, which is if you play this way over the next few weeks, 
you won't just lose one or two of those games and stay in the playoff race. You will lose all of them, every single one of these games, because what we saw from Chicago is that they are better with Mitch Trubisky in, which I know is like, haha, LOL, Mitch Trubisky is still awful. He is, but you only beat the Nick Foles version by six points. So let's keep that in mind. And they scored a lot against the Detroit defense that is kind of like the Vikings defense. And then Detroit now has a competent coach who every player is trying to play their tail off for to be like, yeah, it was Patricia's fault. It wasn't my fault. The contract that you're going to give me in the offseason, you still want to give Give me that contract because it was Patricia's fault. So you know that they're going to be playing hard. Tampa Bay is coming off of a bye week. They also still have Tom Brady, and I don't care if he's missed some deep passes this year. He's a hell of a lot better than Mike Glennon, who almost beat you today despite every attempt. A safety, multiple interceptions. He threw it right to your corner on the first drive, and your corner was like, no. Bounce off me and go to LaVisca Chenault for a touchdown. I mean, Mike Glennon did everything he possibly could to botch that game, as he is a well-below-average backup quarterback who is the third guy off the bench for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he actually moved the ball against your defense. So if you play like that against your next few opponents, you will lose each one of those games. And this magical story of coming back into your playoff spot, it'll go bye-bye really, really quick if it continues to happen. But I want to talk about, Paul, before I get into like what you have for questions for me, is just that there are mistakes that you normally don't put under the category of repeatable that now I have determined are repeatable. Like fumbles, oh, random, it just happened. No, this team fumbles. This team fumbles every week, and they're going to keep fumbling. So, I mean, I don't know if there's like a solution. Hold on to it tighter. Maybe know how to hand off at the one-yard line. What? Um, But this team fumbles the football, and uh, I think that that has become a feature. This team throws pick sixes. They turn it over to to the point where the other team can score, and they are capable of allowing a game-winning drive under any circumstances. If you can give up a game-tying drive in the final seconds to freaking Mike Glennon, you can definitely give one up to Taysom Hill if he's still in, if it's not Drew Brees or Tom Brady or Mitch Trubisky, who's done stuff like that to you before in the past, or especially Matt Stafford. If they play like they did today or against Carolina, they will – have this be a blip on the radar where we got to have some little fun and talk about the playoffs and it will go right down the drain very fast in a couple of weeks. So where do you want to start with your your questions? Well, I was just going to say after last week's game at Carolina, we said a similar thing. They can't play like this and expect to win, except they're playing the one in 10 Jags. So they had one more week to play like this and to win, but now's the cutoff point. Like you have competent football teams coming in. You have, competent quarterbacks I guess coming in I know earlier in the week you said this wasn't maybe the Jets that Mike Lennon is at least a quarterback who has played games this isn't Ben DiNucci this isn't Kyle Hinton um but he's not very good either like he's been on so many teams he couldn't start for the Bears when they had no one no one at quarterback that he couldn't start for Tampa he couldn't start really anywhere he went and it just proved we saw this with Baker Mayfield today when he wasn't pressured at all and he throws for four touchdowns, and now he looks like the Baker Mayfield of old. Mike Glennon looked like a competent NFL starter today because the Vikings cannot create any pressure. And so, yeah, they're not going to be able to keep doing this moving forward. And I, my overwhelming take was just 
did anyone want to win this game? Because (laughs) the Jags, at least it made sense to maybe they didn't want to win this game. At one point, the Jets were ahead. It looked like the Jags were going to have Trevor Lawrence for about 10 minutes there. And then the Jets absolutely, I don't even know what happened there. They let up a Hail Mary. But the Vikings can't perform when they have a playoff spot on the line like they just did today. Everything was set up for them to smoothly go through the Jags to set up their momentum going to Tampa to like really do this thing. If they beat Tampa, their playoff odds, I was just playing around with it at 538. They go up to like 71% if they win that game and they almost let it all fall apart today. So I, I'm just, just flabbergasted at the fact that like the team could play this way with what was on the line. I, I don't know. No one looked like they wanted to win today. That's exactly the right point is that I think when you have so many fundamental flaws that no matter how much the game matters or how much you should be dialed in, that you still make a ton of mistakes and keep a bad team in the game. This is just who they are. And that's why this final stretch is going to be so interesting because they have played up to their competition this year. No one has wiped them off the map who is good. Atlanta did, but um, you know, Green Bay in the first game got way up against them. That's the opener. But aside from that, only Indianapolis really crushed them. But since Justin Jefferson has been a major part of this offense, they play close against good teams and have lost. And they've played close against bad teams and have won. And that's the difference a lot of times between good teams and bad teams is that if you get up on Seattle and give them a couple turnovers, they're going to beat you because their quarterback is Russell Wilson and not Mike Lennon. Uh, Mike Glennon, you're right that this is why he is a backup and um, it shouldn't ever do anything more than be the number three or a practice squad now that you can put veterans on it or whatever. There's a reason they decided to go with Jake Luton first and then to Mike Glennon because he just throws it to the other team at total random, even even when he's got guys wide open. I mean, a couple of those picks are the one that turns into a touchdown. He's got a guy wide open. He just misses them by a ton. And yet still, you make the right point. This team can't pressure an opposing quarterback at all. Even with some of the blitzes today, the Jaguars were able to pick them up and they were able to complete passes and get first downs and continue to move the ball. And I think that that's where, aside from the fumbles, aside from the bad special teams mistakes, the missed kicks, all that sort of stuff that has become a staple of who this team is, I would also say that not being able to pressure an opposing quarterback is going to open the door for any opposing quarterback to have success against you. And I do wonder if Chenault had not got hurt halfway through the game. They were using him a lot as sort of a playmaker. They were handing him the ball, throwing him screens. And I wonder if they you know, have a little more success than they had. At no point did I think the Vikings would lose because Jacksonville is so devoid of talent. That roster has a couple of receivers who can play. Chenault can play, and Chark is pretty decent. And the other guy, Johnson, was really good today. He made a couple of great catches. But aside from that, I mean, they don't have a good offensive line. The running back is pretty good. Um, but their defense is, what, 32nd in the league in passer rating allowed. So it was no surprise that once they started to open things up, they were able to do it. But the fundamental flaw to me that gets them each week against these bad teams to allow them to stay in the game is that they simply cannot pressure the quarterback unless it was Nick Foles. I mean, he was the only guy that they've really been able to successfully pressure 
all of the season. And as you look forward and say, wow, if you can keep Mike Glennon in the game, despite him trying to make a cutback move and fumbling, like what? I mean, that is a classic, like fourth string quarterback is in the game and he's six, seven all neck. And he's trying to do a cutback move against the cornerback or something and fumbles. Um, but if even he can stay in the game with you and get it to overtime, that tells you a lot about where you are just in general as defense. Uh, Cam Dantzler played well today. Uh, it didn't look like the coverage was terrible, it's, except for Chris Boyd a couple of times, but you know he's like their fifth string corner. Um, but it's that defensive line that just simply has no capability of stopping anyone. And if Eric Kendrick's injury is serious at all, then everybody they play the rest of the year is going to move the ball. They're going to put up points. If they have the ball last, they're probably going to score. Like that is who you are as a defense. And the only way to overcome it is playing offense really well without throwing the pick six or without having the fumble at the one or without having the fumble that turns into a touchdown like they have the last two weeks. Yeah, if if the Jags can stay in a game with the Vikings, any team can stay in the game with the Vikings. And so that's a newsflash for if fans are getting excited about the playoffs, those teams, all of them are going to be able to score. There aren't teams that just have no offense that are going to find their way into the playoffs. If you look through a theme of it, it's mostly teams that can't stop anyone like the Vikings like the Seahawks, like the Packers, like teams like that. So it, it just shows that against these bad teams, yes, maybe they can squeak out these games. But if every single opponent that you play is going to be able to score and is never going to be out of the game, it's just not sustainable to say that they can make a playoff push and make any sort of playoff run. Because at some point, like we talk about every week, Kirk Cousins is going to Kirk Cousins. Something's going to happen. The special teams isn't going to go is going to just continue doing what it's doing and it's going to cost them. So it didn't today against the horrendous Jacksonville Jaguars that at one point could have been the worst team in the league in, except for what the Jets did. So yeah, there's not many positives to look at for this game. And I just want to go through the drives in the second half. Like it's, it's hilarious. Just looking at like the ESPN play by play, you get the, the pick six right away. And then the Vikings score, then the Jags punt, the Vikings score again, then they go fumble, fumble, safety, Punt, 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 <laughs> fumble, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal, missed field goal, punt, interception, field goal. And the perfect it was, it was, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. There's two fumbles in a row, a safety, three punts. There was just everything in this game. I, 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 I just, I, I don't know. I couldn't look away, but like, I, I wanted to look away. It was, it was horrendous, but after all of it, they are now in the playoffs. And so I don't, I don't really know what to say because they have a, a 38% chance now to, to make the playoffs, and it's it's in the realm of possibility, and I guess we have to talk about it, but, like, they do they do not deserve it after this game or after what we've seen from them the last three weeks. And I, I will give Mike Zimmer credit for acknowledging that that is the case, that he said even in the locker room they weren't celebrating this win because this is a you should walk out with your head held low after this. You should walk out shaking your head in embarrassment as opposed to celebrating a victory. But like you said, the bottom line is you're in a playoff spot. The only thing I would come back to, though, with being in that playoff spot is if you do make the playoffs, I've seen this sentiment quite a bit, and I want to talk about it a little, uh, that 
let's say you seven and nine or, or you're eight and eight and you make that seventh playoff spot, which was invented out of pure magic. Like we wouldn't be talking about this at all. If the NFL wasn't just insanely greedy, like six playoff teams is probably right. And maybe if they got rid of the division winner thing, we would have the system totally great. I loved that it was only the cream of the crop that made it, unlike hockey, where if you can keep the ice rink cold, you make the playoffs. Or the same thing with basketball. If your hoop is 10 feet, you're in the playoffs. And then you get murdered by the Lakers in the first series or something, and you get to, I don't know, put up a we made the playoffs trophy or something in in your arena. Well, it's the same feeling now with allowing seven teams in, where it's the ultimate participation trophy for your season, because more likely than not, a team that makes this many mistakes, has this many holes, can't pressure the quarterback, very unlikely that they're going to make it. In fact, uh, make it past that first round. I mean, in fact, when you look at Arizona, they're a great example of like, that's the team you're chasing. They're bad too. Their quarterback's a mess. Their offense is a mess. Their defense can't stop anybody. Like that's the team that you're like neck and neck with. And neither one of you actually deserve to be a playoff team. So I think there's a cynical view of looking at an eight and eight or seven and nine, eight, seventh seed to say, was that, was that good? Because now, you know, you get blown out in the first game or you lose the first game, or maybe it's exciting. I don't know, whatever, but you're not winning the Super Bowl, So you lose the first game and you end up with the 19th draft pick. And then what? I mean, is that a game changer? Probably not. Um, the top tackle, the top guard, the top receiver, the top defensive end, the top defensive tackle, all those positions you need to change your future, probably not going to do it with 19th. Justin Jefferson, I know, was in that range, so I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's less likely than it is if you're drafting seventh or if you're drafting fifth or something like that. So there will be a lot of people that look at it and say, what was it worth? And then the other part is, well, they were one in five and they fought their way back. And this is how I think that the ownership will look at it is if they go eight and eight, they'll say, well, we started out one and five. We had some bad breaks and we had the COVID thing and we didn't have the home field advantage thing. And then, you know, okay. So all of a sudden uh, the team fought for Zimmer. Zimmer is coaching these guys up. And then 2021 is our year. I think that will be In fact, even if they fall off here at the end, that will ultimately be the message that sort of comes out of the team is look how we fought, look how we turned it around. And, you know, when you start to look farther down the road, the cap situation, the cap going down, the players that you might have to lose, what you have to build with is still good. But are you going to tell me that it's a huge jump? I'm not really sure. So, you know, the. This is a funny place to be, and I think I said this weeks ago, and I think I'm going to stay with it for now, which is take the roller coaster thing that holds you in and put it real tight. Put it real, real tight around you because this thing is probably going to still jerk you around quite a bit before the season is over, and just, just ride it out. The world is awful. It's 2020. Things are still bad. You know, just kind of enjoy the ride here and don't think too much about 2021 at this moment because whatever happens from here on is not changing that message that they turned it around they continued to fight jefferson's amazing we got lots to build with that's going to be the message you're not going to draft a quarterback in the top five our skull searching can continue but it's kind of over unfortunately for us because there was a lot of good content there um but that's the way i look at it that today if they blow the jacksonville game we can go back to being like ah 
See, Cousins had one of those down games, and he blew the Jacksonville game, and this is why we're talking quarterback. But without this, then I think we go back to, all right, the rest of the ride is they're going to talk about how great it was that they turned things around. So strap yourself in, and if they get a playoff game, that means you get more football into January, and that's the best I can do for you. But to say that this team deserves it after these last couple of weeks of course they don't. And Arizona doesn't either. And and if Chicago makes it, they don't either. And if the Lions make it, they don't either. Like, nobody deserves the seven seed at all. So you're not alone. This is not just a Vikings thing. Yeah, and using your roller coaster analogy, I want to ask, like, after everything we take in, we take in the way the Vikings played, but we also take in the fact that they are now in a playoff spot. They moved above the Cardinals who lost. Did we move higher in that roller coaster are we like moving our way up after today like from where we were yesterday to now where we are today did we move up or did we go down because I think the feeling of just what we just watched points to okay we're going down but they're in the playoffs they improved their playoff position they improved their odds so I don't really know how to digest this moving forward because Yes, they looked horrible, but they look, they've looked horrible these last couple of weeks, and they've still been gaining. So I know that might not happen with better teams, but they're still gaining. So I, I, I don't know. Are we? Do we feel better about the whole situation? I don't know. To me, the roller coaster kind of broke, and you had to use the bathroom, and you were stuck up there for a while. That was today's game. This, <laughs> the roller coaster didn't really take you up and down uh, in terms of the big picture. Throughout the game, it did. I mean, it went from – Early in the game, they're down 9 nothing, and my Twitter is just firing everyone. They want Cousins gone. They want Spielman fired. They want uh, Chris Boyd shot into the sun, which he might deserve it after getting another illegal block in the back. But I, but, I mean, that's inexcusable. He's supposed to be a special teams expert. He is falling under the category of guys who are um, – not taking the next step forward in 2020. I'll just politely put it that way. But um, outside of the individual roller coaster nature of this game, where then, you know, they start to get it together and it seems like, oh, well, they'll just blow this team out and run away and we'll forget that first half ever happened. Even when they were a great team, stuff like this went on. They were losing to Cleveland in 2017 in London. And then the second half, they were like, oh, yeah, Deshaun Kaiser's playing for the other team. Let's win by 20. And that's actually what I expect to happen. And then you could just sort of shrug it off. The fact that they allowed Glennon, the game-winning drive, the fact that they fumble at the one-yard line when Kirk Cousins is then on the sideline explaining handoffs to Delvin Cook. Like, well, I mean, no one has more experience at doing it than Kirk Cousins handing off repeatedly to Delvin Cook. But, I mean, this should be something you guys got down by now, I think. Uh, it's sort of unbelievable that on the throw and the handoff, there could be miscommunication between these two who have played together the whole time that they've been here and uh, – you get the most used player there is. And it just speaks to sort of the lack of general overall focus that they seem to have throughout this game. Um, but in terms of like where the roller coaster is at, I mean, t- today it was just sort of on pause, even though um, Arizona goes down, you get to be in a playoff spot, but I think there's just a lot more peaks and valleys to go uh, through these last couple of games, whether it's more ugly wins like this or more games where you play better than you expect and you lose because you do something like they did today. And instead of missing a 62 yarder at the buzzer, you know, maybe, you know, the kicker makes it or something, maybe not from 62. That would have been the ultimate revenge though. That's a former Viking practice squad kicker. If he bombed it from 62 after your guy missed, it would be the most Vikings thing of all time. And that's the other part. 
non-Vikings-y things are happening recently, so they will start to happen again soon. Kickers missing final field goals and stuff. That That's usually not how it goes. Um, I did want to talk about a few individual things, and I want your uh, your instant take on what I'm going to say here. Uh, I, I don't know how Delvin Cook survives this season with how much they're giving him the ball. I know that Alexander Madison was out. You have had Mike Boone on this team. You have had uh, Amir Abdullah on this team for several years. And at some point, you can't set career highs every single week for this guy. You're going to play physical teams coming up. You're going to play Tampa Bay. You got Chicago again. They beat the heck out of Delvin Cook. You have New Orleans that is a great defense at this point in the season. I, I just don't know how they can continue to do this where he doesn't get hurt or doesn't get slowed down. He played well at the end of the game today, which says something about his, uh, you know, I guess how in shape he is. But I didn't see the same level of burst from Delvin Cook, and maybe those little focus things are these injuries are starting to really pile up on him, Paul. Yeah, I, I, I you talked about it with Courtney, I think last week when they, you were making the Derrick Henry Delvin Cook comparison, and she was saying he just gets stronger going into the going every week further into the season. You see it at the end of the year, you see it at the end of the games. Delvin Cook's not exactly like that. He had those couple games in the middle of the season where he was on a tear. He like really helped them kind of survive that little bumpy period where they didn't cousins was in transition from hitting home runs to hitting singles and doubles as he likes to call it. They were, he was kind of getting him through that period, but now cousins is playing exactly how you'd want him to be playing for the most part. Uh, Justin Jefferson has come along even more. Adam Thielen has continued to play well. So this is when you'd theoretically want to maybe go a little bit away from Dalvin cook when he is hurt, when he, hasn't been as effective. You could tell early in the game, the Jags were going to make it a point to not let Dalvin Cook do a lot. They, He was not very successful for the through the first half, but he had the most touches of any skill player. He had the most receptions, I think, of any skill player. He had about, I think he had four. So I don't know. It seems like those injuries are, are racking up and his play is not doing well because of it. He had the fumble. He had everything. And I think a tweet that I saw from... Um, a friend of the podcast, Sam Monson, PFF Sam, said, how much better would the Vikings be if they thought they were down 10 points at all times? And <laughs> Yeah, I thought that's, was, a, that's a great observation. Because in the second half, it felt like they started to understand, okay, Justin Jefferson had only had two receptions. Let's get him more involved. Let's stop throwing on first and second down, or stop running on first and second down, which we were doing a lot of. And it just made me question how much Zimmer – has said going into the week telling Kubiak they need to establish the run going forward. And then when things fall apart, they're just letting maybe Kubiak do more, or maybe we don't know that we don't know how much each person is influencing it, but it crept up into my mind because you're right. Dalvin cook cannot continue to do this. We've just seen how frequently running backs get injured. Christian McCaffrey's injured. Zeke has struggled. Todd Gurley obviously struggled. So this, this can't continue, but I don't see how they, go away from this, especially with Alexander Madison hurt, but I, I don't get it because they, they should be throwing in early down situations a lot earlier in games than they have been. And this is starting to become a trend that they're doing it week over week where they're just not understanding what the best part of their offense is. And that's Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And it takes them till the third quarter to magically realize it. And they, they can't keep doing that. Got a great holiday deal to tell you about from Soda Stick. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER15 
you can get 15% off your purchases during this holiday season when you buy two items or more. Go to SodaStick.com, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. So many great designs, especially the holiday sweaters. Make sure you check out the Let It Skull design. All their apparel is screen-printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That's SodaStick.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER15 for 15% off anytime you purchase at least two items this holiday season. Or simply overstating how much they need Delvin Cook to set all that up for Justin Jefferson to succeed because I think that Justin Jefferson is so good and we've seen it today and we saw him clear Randy Moss's number already for yards for a rookie. I mean, he's reminding me right now of like a Julio Jones and I know that he doesn't have the height of Julio Jones, but in terms of how he runs so powerfully and how every ball you throw up that's 50, 50, even if he pushes off a little or doesn't, I don't know. When his both of his arms come out, even if the push-off was weak, they're going to call that. But still, like, Cousins just launched the ball up like a punt, and he still went and got it. Any throw that goes deep to him, it's possible that he's going to make that play. And it's sort of like Diggs was, especially you know in 2017 where Case Keenum would just launch it up and Diggs would go get it. Or, you know, last year, same kind of deal for um, for, for Cousins and Diggs. But now it seems like... With Jefferson, it's even to another level in terms of going deep and making every catch, especially when it's a backup corner on him. He's just going to destroy that person and to have even a half where you're not targeting him in 2020. This is not 1998. This is not like different offensive philosophies and, you know, defenses are tougher. Corners are allowed to do more to your wide receivers. You're allowed to hit the quarterback more. Like this is built for superstar wide receivers. They're all over the league succeeding and not leaning into that fully, I think is a mistake. And I look at it as Delvin Cook has made mistakes in terms of fumbling recently. I'm not saying for sure because you're using him every play, but it's plausible to suggest that ever using him 32 times in a game will eventually wear him down and mistakes will get made. Um, with Jefferson, it seems like they're just afraid to overdo it or to trust Kirk to throw to him all the time because they think Cousins will turn the ball over. The reality of Kirk Cousins is he will turn the ball over. That is a historic fact with Kirk Cousins. And you have two options. Do you lean into the Kirk and say, you know what? The last two weeks, he's turned the ball over, and they overcome it. In fact, the last three weeks, he's turned the ball over. A strip sack, an interception, whatever it is, and he's overcome it by doing what? Throwing to Justin Jefferson. That's how he overcomes it. So even if he makes mistakes along the way and throws a pick six or has a strip sack or whatever it might be, you can overcome that when you lean into throwing to Jefferson. And what helps you overcome it as well, being ahead in the game because you passed it to Justin Jefferson. So in this particular instance, no one has to go to jail after this game because he ended up with 12 targets, nine catches, 121 yards, incredible performance by Jefferson. And it would have been more if he wasn't called for that push off, but we can still look at it and say the distribution of your throwing to Jefferson was problematic. And I don't know whether to say that, yeah, it's Gary's fault or yeah, it's Zimmer's fault. I don't know who is designing how they're going about that. And then I go back and forth on the Gary thing because 
How about the play to Dalvin Cook that's very creative? They line up. It looks like an empty set. Cook comes into the backfield. He gets a finger quote pass. <laughs> that's padding the stats right there, like more of a handoff. But he gains 20 yards on it. Very creative-looking play. And he's getting Jefferson matched up one-on-one throughout every one of these games, even when teams are double-teaming him. So it's like I think Gary knows the right buttons to push. The order of operations, at least today in this game, kept Jacksonville in it, even though they were down right from the very beginning. Yeah, and I, it's it's definitely not me critiquing Gary Kubiak's like offensive scheme and stuff. It's just when they choose to implement the stuff in their offensive scheme, because it feels like they're getting to the good stuff that's really successful when they're down 10 points, when they haven't been able to run the ball. And so I just would like to see that creativity come uh, out sooner when you're not like back against the wall, have to use it or something like that. But to go back to your Dalvin Cook point, I, I just hope it's not them trying to justify the contract that they gave him by saying, hey, we can run him because one, he's shown that he has injuries. I, we know he's really, really tough and he's shown that this year and he's been able to stay on the field largely. But when you go through all the successful teams, whether or not they've paid a running back a lot, they've used a committee like the Saints use Latavius Murray a decent amount to change it up. They know they can't use Alvin Kamara every single time. Like the the Rams during their or the Rams this year, they're moving around running backs all the time. Yeah. Tampa Bay is doing that. The Cardinals do that. Like the Chiefs did it last year in the Super Bowl. They're doing it this year. The Bills have Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, guys they can run. The Browns have two running backs. So and some of those guys are highly paid, but that doesn't mean they can't use the backup. And so it feels like maybe they're trying to justify paying Dalvin that much. And he is so important to this team, but at like, just, just use Madison. He's good too. Like that. It, it doesn't really matter if cook is getting 30 touches a game because we've seen it. He's not going to hold up. He just isn't as tough as he is. He's just not going to hold up. And, and they, they probably do need him in some aspects for this playoff run, if they want to make it as much as we say, running backs don't matter. He's a special talent. They have a better chance when he's out there, but I don't think their chances go down that much. If he goes from 30 touches to 20 touches a game, like I don't think it decreases so dramatically that you have to take that risk of injuring him. Like I I just don't. Yeah. Well, and today to me was the ultimate evidence that it's wearing him down. And Gary Kubiak admitted that on a radio interview that he did this week. And um, now Delvin got, of course, a little defensive when he was asked about it. But I mean, his longest run today was 12 yards and it just didn't have the same sort of burst. And I give him credit for being the horse at the end. Also, Mike Zimmer, come on, man. You got to trust You got to trust your kicker at the end there. What a middle finger to Dan Bailey by sending the offense back out, and then they jump offside, and then, okay, we're going to kick the field goal. But imagine if they had fumbled again and this game ended in a tie. It would have been perfect. That would have – I don't necessarily believe in football gods or karma or whatever. That game being a tie, I would have changed my mind. I would have believed that someone was watching over us and made sure justice was done to that game if it had ended up being a tie. But at the end, it's a great point that, yeah, I mean, Delvin did a great job running for first down, setting them up to be in field goal position over and over again, even when the Jaguars are stacked in the box. But at the end of the game, he averages under four yards a carry against the Jaguars, against a team that just can't stop anybody on defense. And you wonder, like, Mike Boone is not great, but he's not, like, garbage either. I think he averaged over five yards a carry last year when they mixed him in and gave him a chance. And the same thing for Amir Abdullah, who gets in the game for maybe a play, and they throw him a a quick pass over the middle, and he sets them up for missing the field goal. 
And, and it's not like these guys are incompetent or you pick them up off XFL rosters. These are guys who have been on your roster and who can play, and you can mix them in. You can throw them a screen pass. You can line them up. Boone used to be a receiver. You can line them up and run a bubble screen to them. You can have a couple of plays where Amir Abdullah is just pass blocking or something just to get some breaks in there. So I feel like we're belaboring the point about Cook and his usage, but when you set a career high against the Jaguars, a game that should have been, hey, let's not use Cook too much. Let's get him a week of rest. And now you got to go to Tampa and play a tough defense with Cook coming off this, now going on the road. Like That's hard. And he's a warrior. I mean, I'll give him that, that he just continued to battle. And, but we also know the history of the injuries and how much he got worn down last year. He had 312 yards all of last year in the second half of the season. I mean, it's something to be concerned about as they go into the official playoff race. Now, let me say something that was really good today. Before I get into the special teams, which is now, I mean, it's almost like it needs to be a weekly feature of like, do, 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 what did the special teams do wrong? A lot. Um, so Cameron Dantzler, good job. Good job, Cameron Dantzler. He's looking good. I mean, since he came back from the injury, it's kind of weird to say because it looked like a tragedy on the football field at first when he was down and getting carted off in Green Bay. And then he's off for a couple of weeks. He comes back. And since then, he's played really well. And today, the interception is on Glennon and the tight end. What are you doing? I mean, like, the tight end should catch it. The throw is bad. But he makes the play. The fumble is legit. I mean, that's a great play. That's a guy bringing the ball in and having full control of it and just peanut punching that thing out like Charles Tillman back in the day. That's making a great play on the football. And uh, I, I just feel like his play – over the last few weeks, I know you're playing the Jaguars and Carolina, but I, I think it's been quite good over the last few weeks, and that's a good step for them. And Zimmer was uh, – it might be the only thing he was enthusiastic about after the game. He said it feels like they might have their corners here with the way that Gladney and Dantzler have played recently. And in terms of what you wanted to see down the stretch, even if they weren't going to make the playoffs or get into this race, Dantzler getting back, staying healthy, improving, making plays – that's what we expected coming out of camp. It just took a, kind of a long time to get there. Yeah, and I, I would have to go back and see exactly how Jeff Gladney did today, but he didn't have a, a as good of a game as Cam Dancer, but he's not making the boneheaded plays that he was making earlier in the games or earlier this season, letting guys just run by him. He's shown he can be a good tackler. Uh, they're putting him in there to blitz like throughout the games. Like Zimmer's at least trusting him to do some of those things, and when we've seen cornerback errors, it's been mostly Chris Boyd and Chris Jones. And those during a normal year, hopefully those are two guys you probably didn't expect to be playing a lot of cornerback. So if we're now erasing like most of the mistakes from like everyone on the defense on the defensive backfield and now it's just relegated to your like undrafted guys that you're that you're putting in and plugging in there, like I can I think we can live with that a little bit more and to see the progression that Dantzler and Gladney are having. We've talked about it all season. We don't totally know what to do with cornerbacks and like how to like judge their progression. Like you always bring up Stefan Gilmore in Buffalo and how he had a horrible year. And so it doesn't always like lead to success or failure, but the two guys that were a, a big part of the off season and we expected to be a big part of this team and have been a big part of this team are improving. So that's, that that is a good step to see. Um, one area that's not improving that I know you want to talk about next is the special teams. And every week it's just something new. It's like if it was 
over and over again they're like fumbling punt like like punt ca- like returns. Yeah, and okay, again maybe enough KJ Osborne. Enough, yeah. enough with the KJ Osborne. We we weren't really worried about Dan Bailey, and I guess now we have to be worried about Dan Bailey too because he looked just skittish throughout the game. So go on go on your special teams rant because because it's deserved. Well, let me send this back your way. A theory that gets tossed out on the interwebs of many theories on the internet, uh, but this one is the one that I'm going to ask you about, which is that Zimmer and his disposition toward kickers, understandably has exacerbated the problem. So Zimmer, uh, not just on kickers, but going crazy when uh, there's the kick return for touchdown, or if you go back to the Daniel Carlson thing, or even what he did to Bailey at the end of the game, just, I mean, that's just mind games. They're in field goal position. It's an old extra point distance. Your chances of making it are 99% at that point. Like, just just do it. Just win the game. Even if he kicks it poorly, it's still going to go through those uprights. Um, instead, you risk running and fumbling just to basically stick the bird out to your kicker for missing one from 51, which he didn't kick well at all. But it's also 51. I mean, it's not like it was a chip shot that he missed to win the game. And I just wonder if you think that there's any validity to Zimmer and his frustration with special teams and if that actually makes the special teams worse or if they're just bad at special teams because they have a lot of players who are bottom-of-the-roster type guys or young guys that make a bunch of mistakes. Which is? Uh, well, I think I think the fact that Zimmer berates them in the media and probably behind closed doors too like has to be a factor. Like if you take this in any other job, Like, if I was just listening to you, like, in your old job, like, on the radio talking about how much you hate interns, and then I come in and I'm, like, your intern, like, I'm not just going to be, like, it's going to have an effect on you in any position. If you're, like, you hear your boss say, like, how much you, like, don't like a certain, like, department, like, that department suddenly isn't just going to be, like, oh, yeah, whatever, like, that's going to have an effect. And for kicking, that's so, so much based on confidence, if you have a thought that, like, if I miss this one kick, like I could be out of here. Like that has to be in your mind. Like it's such a mental, like it's, it's such a mental side of the sport. The, the kicking is like, we've seen it over and over when you miss one, your tendency, like the chance that you're going to miss the next one is a lot higher. Like that's just, that's just how it works. So I, I have to imagine when they're just running through kickers, when you go Daniel Carlson, you have Kai Forbath, you have Kari Vedvik there for a second. And then you have Dan Bailey, like, at at some point it, it it has to influence you. I mean, if you had Justin Tucker back there, I don't know. Like maybe maybe not. So part of it has to be that they're not playing well. But I don't think Zimmer's demeanor helps. That's for sure. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria and that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online jobs seekers in the U.S. 
Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer you're going to find anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, and with Bailey, he's been great, but the moment he's not great, you know what's coming from the head coach. And today, he wasn't great on an extra point, and then all of a sudden, uh, like you said, it's multiple field goals that end up getting missed, and including the game winner. Now, I mean, he makes eventually the game winner, but has a shot there at the end. I don't think Dan Bailey is mentally soft enough to fall apart, but I do think it's possible that there are other mechanical issues that we don't really understand or know about that might happen in a situation like that, especially when you're changing long snappers. And I am not against them changing long snappers when it was Austin Cutting. And Austin Cutting made three or four mistakes in a three or four week span, which can't be done. Like that's a career's worth of mistakes by a long snapper. You have to make a change. But was that part of it? I don't know if we're going to find out publicly what exactly happened there, but it was certainly something. And Zimmer didn't have an answer for it after the game, but he did say, well, I still like Dan Bailey or whatever. He gave him kind of that like lukewarm, if we had lost, I would have ripped you in the media kind of uh, comment. But going even beyond just the missed field goals, which are very hard to explain, but special teams mistakes nonetheless. I mean, when a guy gets a seven-yard punt return, And all of a sudden we're saying, hey, career high for you on a seven-yard punt return. And then fumbles later in the game, which could have been incredibly costly. It's just time. It's time to put somebody back there who knows what they're doing. I don't care if you have to bring Marcus Sherrills back just to catch it. Fair catch. Catch it. Zero yards. Good go. Let's get back on offense. Nobody do an illegal block in the back, maybe. Uh, You know, like if if you have to get to that level of conservative so you don't turn the ball over – That's doing better than you're doing now because every punt has the capability to ruin the game for you. And that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty concerning. And I I don't know. It's, it's hard to blame people. I mean, it's hard to say, well, that this coach did this or this guy did that when it comes to special teams. But I can tell you for sure that there is nothing about KJ Osborne that makes me say, well, you got to keep putting him back there. I mean, he's fumbled several times now and he shows no explosiveness. Like usually what you want from that guy is that quick first step. Even someone like Marcus Sherrill's had in his prime, he had such a quick first step. He was fast and he was small and he was shifty. He had great eyes. We've seen none of that from KJ Osborne. I see why they wouldn't run Chad Beebe back out there for fumbling one, but I think KJ Osborne deserves the same treatment. Put Amir Abdullah back there. I don't rush. Don't don't put anybody back there and just rush an extra guy. Whatever it is you're going to do. And speaking of which, by the way, I mean this this game had just so many funny things. What exactly is the Jaguars player thinking when the Vikings punt it down and it's you know Chris Boyd's trying to down the ball at the one. 
and he just like touches it. Like, what are you What are you doing there? Why are you in that area? And the other guy grabs it. Like, oh my god, my teammate just touched it. Heads up play by that guy, and he takes the you know the kind of almost a kneel down. And luckily for him, he hadn't come out of the end zone, but. Just boneheaded. It was like a tennis match of boneheaded plays. Like, oh, did you just do the yeah. dumbest thing ever? Doink, let me send back the dumbest thing ever. I mean, it was <laughs> that was so wild. But again, it sort of speaks to what we were talking about before, where eventually you get so far into the season, you have to say these mistakes are going to happen. Maybe not every single game like they have recently, but you're not going to go five more games with pristine special teams play and no turnovers, and your defensive line suddenly going to pressure the quarterback. Like that's that's not going to happen. So the question is, like you said, can you play up to your competition over the next few weeks? And can you know you beat a Bears team that's going to be coming after you, and a Detroit team that's going to be trying to prove that it was all Matt Patricia's fault? I remain skeptical, Paul, and I think that's you know a good place to wrap up. Is I just I want to know your without looking at the odds. I know that you did, but. Give me your odds that they make the playoffs because I'm kind of a coin flip right now. I think it's possible because Arizona is that bad and they could lose to anybody the way that they've lost these last couple of weeks. At the same time, I think that this stretch, if you make a lot of the same mistakes, you are winning two games or something like that or one game. And then we're talking about, hey, remember that time they were almost in the playoffs? So I'm 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 at a coin flip because they're there in a playoff spot, but protecting it, I I don't know. I'm I'm not willing to say that I'm buying in until they beat Tampa. Yeah, I I'm probably right around that fifty fifty percent, probably uh maybe a little less um than that, but they're in the spot. I, I I don't know what we can say, and I guess we have seen like we've seen them play bad competition for a while, and I like the point you made up where they're kind of playing down to it. The couple games that they've played against good teams, they played well against Tennessee. They played well against Seattle, so we haven't really seen them play a good team. So I don't know how they're going to play. If they play, if they kind of play to their competition, we'll find out. So this Tampa game is going to be really illuminating in terms of just where they're at because I don't feel like we could get totally an accurate accurate representation of where this team is at in like a playoff like lens. Like we've seen this team. Okay, they're better than the horrific teams most of the time, but we haven't seen them against a good team. And so this has got to be the most important game of their season coming up. Uh, and it's definitely going to be the most telling about where this team's at, because I don't know how much we take away from this Jacksonville game. I don't know how much we can take away from these other games other than that they haven't been very good, but I'm excited to see them against a good team and see what they can, can do against a team that they're not necessarily expected to beat. And by, I would say Tuesday, we can at least start the hype machine for a game, the real life, actual hype machine, which has been shut down since what before Seattle, because I I remember talking about, well, if they beat Seattle, then they've got the easy schedule and then they can get right back in it. And pretty much that hype machine went when they lost that game. And now we're rank it, you know, crank it back up hype machine this week, Vikings and bucks playoff position. Exciting, I guess. <laughs> sure, like, maybe. It will be so this team, though, to win by like 28 points or something against Tampa or lose by 28 points. I and mean, that's the best part, Paul, is every time a Vikings game comes around on Sunday, anything could happen. And uh, same goes for this podcast. So great things uh, from you, Paul, here. I, I appreciate all of your time. And uh, 
Make sure also if, if you get a chance, people, to go listen um, or, I'm sorry, read my article on Kirk Cousins. I kind of went like deep dive into his statistics and the battle that goes on back and forth between fans and all that sort of stuff and where we should stand on Kirk Cousins. So make sure you go to purpleinsider.com and check that out. And, uh, Paul, we'll get together again soon, my friend. Thank you, Matt.